Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome to Hey YA! From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA! is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA! is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. And we are recording this on July 14th. Hello, Erica! Hi, Tirza. It's been a minute. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks. It feels like it's been an age since we recorded with each other. (laughs) It's been forever. I'm like out of sorts, kind of, because I'm just like, oh, it's different. (laughs) Yes, but it's so good to be back. And um, I hope that you had a great vacation and trip. It was fabulous. It was wonderful. I went to Florida for the first time. It was super hot. I saw iguanas. They scared me a little bit. They were a little <laughs> big for me. They looked like they could square up. Um, they didn't, but they looked like they could. The potential was there. Yeah, the, the you know. Uh, I wasn't trying anything with them. There were mangoes in the backyard. It was pretty. It was hot AF, but it's Florida in late June slash early July, so I expected that. The most important yeah. thing was that I had a lot of fun. Oh, I saw The Little Mermaid with my friend. Ooh. I need to see that stuff. Yes, it was fun. It was cute. The Yay. visuals, it served visuals. Ugh. I thought it that was really well done. It was cute. I liked it. That's awesome. So it was an awesome time. Yeah, I had fun. Oh, that sounds so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Little Mermaid was in theaters in my theater for like five seconds. And I it was like on a weekend where like I just couldn't go see it. And then it was out. And oh, I was like, seriously, like dang. the biggest Disney movie of the year. And you only had it in for like a weekend. That doesn't make any sense. That's weird. It does not make any sense. It, it seemed racist to me. But <laughs> I was like, what's going on? Uh, that's very weird. Like y'all don't want money. I think it did pretty well. Yeah. Um, like people were going to see it, yeah. So I don't know. It's like, do y'all not want money or what? I don't know. I'm <laughs> excited odd. for it to come out on Disney Plus or yes. on DVD or whatever because I will definitely stream it and watch it. Little Mermaid was one of my favorites when mm-hmm. I was a kid, so I'm excited. It's fun. I highly recommend. And I thought how they um, I didn't know this going in, but they made it in the Caribbean, basically. Nice. So I was like, oh, that makes so much, especially with Sebastian. His, right. uh, little, I was like, oh, now Sebastian makes sense. Before he didn't like, <laughs> it's like, what ocean are you in, girl? Like, where's this accent right. coming from? This got this uh, Jamaican crab over here. So I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, okay, that like makes things make like sense. And it was an interesting element to it as well. So I like that. That's good. Yeah. I was going to say, did you know that there is a YA book that's like Ariel's, you know, backstory (gasps) for, um, it's written by JL. It's, it's a YA book that just came out a few months ago. So yeah, if you need more Little Mermaid in your life. I might, I might, you might, (laughs) I might need a little, a little more Little Mermaid. That sounds familiar. I'm going to have to look that up. Yes, it looks great. So that's exciting. That is exciting. But let's see, what other fun news do we have for you? Um, The Summer I Turned Pretty Season 2 has dropped. By the time you listen to this, it will have been out for a few days. But today we're recording on July 14th. So it like comes out today for us. And I'm really excited about this because I thought that they did such a good job with Season 1. Did you ever watch it or have you read the books, Erica? No. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I so always I'll feel avoid... like I'm disappointing you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're fine. <laughs> um, you, We both bring so much variety to That's the true. show. That's because fair. Because we've seen and read different things. Different stuff. Good point. Um, 
Yeah, well, I will just say really quickly, uh, the the series is based off of Jenny Han's um, Summer I Turned Pretty trilogy. There are three books in the series. And I have to say, this like this trilogy came out like a long time ago, like mm-hmm. over 10 years ago. And it does an interesting thing in YA, which this these three books span quite, quite a few years. Because the first book is like, I think it's the summer she turned 16. And then the second book is like the summer after that. And then the third book is like, she's about to graduate graduate from college. So it covers a wide span of time. All the summer feels for sure. I love that. I love that. I didn't realize that. That's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's going to be like a, you know, heart stomper type of heart-wrenching type story just because you know you're gonna like fall in love but you're also gonna cry a lot Mm. but the like i read the books back when they first came out and i really enjoyed them and then last summer i was like okay i gotta reread them and so like the first book follows the first season or the first season follows the first book and so i imagine that the second um season will follow the second book but what i was really impressed by is these books are not very long and they're very like interior and they're very much focused on like belly and her experiences and how she sees the world but what i loved about the tv show is they expanded it out and they included so much more that's going on with the characters that are established and i thought that that was just done really well so i'm going to be very excited to see how they continue to do that in season two the first three episodes um dropped today and then it the next five you're gonna have to like wait a week for each episode to drop so yeah good luck being patient (laughs) (sighs) i love that like i i stand a good adaptation like and i like to this is a side note but i like it when streaming services or streaming companies will drop like a few episodes for a new show and then like i know they want to keep subscribers so they'll drop one a week after that but i'm like now you know i want it i need more than one episode so yeah that, right. that sounds cool. Yeah. It does sound interesting. I didn't realize that it spanned time, the series. So, yeah, it does. And yeah, I remember reading the first book and being like, oh my God, that was an amazing first book. And then being shocked that there was going to be like sequels because the first book kind of leaves you in a place where you're like, if you don't know that there's more books, you're like, oh man, like what an affecting read. Yeah. And then like with the second book, it, you know, they keep going. And it's definitely, I will warn you, if you don't love triangles, don't, you're not going to like this. Um, love like life triangles, but I do, I don't mind a love triangle when it's done well. So I, yeah, it's just, I'm really excited to watch season two. Yes. All the love geometry. I have no yes. love geometry in my life. I don't know how people achieve that. <laughs> but right? yes, all of the geometry, all the love geometry. That sounds it sounds really good, even though I'm not familiar with it. So you are always turning me on to adaptations I need to get into. I did enjoy Shadow and Bone a lot. Yay. Although it did get a little crispy at the end. Yeah. Did get yeah. a little crispity crunchity at the end. And this is as someone who has not read the books. Even I was like, mm. <laughs> I was like, um, I don't know. I don't know about that cliffhanger girl, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, and I've been I've been very anxious about whether or not they're going to renew that for a third season because mm. um like I know it's a really expensive show for Netflix to make and yeah. I know that Netflix likes canceling things after only one oh or two seasons. Oh my god, yeah. So, I'm like very anxious about the show, but it has such a like a huge following and both yeah. times both seasons have dropped. They it's been like number 1 across the world. Yeah. So, I'm like, come on guys, like, you know, approve it. Obviously, you know, with all the strikes going on, I'm not sure if anything's really getting renewed right now or what's going on there. But the second season was just nominated for an Emmy for special effects. And I think like that that's a positive thing. Like, why would you want to cancel your Emmy nominated show? Come on, guys. But I am not a Netflix executive, so I do not make decisions and I do not understand the decisions that get made. They I don't know that anyone but them understands (laughs) the decisions, some of the decisions they make. I I feel like there will be a third season. I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, hopefully. And of course, hopefully the strike gets the writers everything they need. Yeah. And the actors now too, because SAG after is now. Yes. I just saw that. Um, It's ridiculous how it's like, you want this thing? You want me to do this thing? You don't want to pay me. I saw something saying that they wanted to like, I don't know. Not don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I hope they get it. I hope the writers, because they're the ones 
those shows rely so much on them. So shout out to them and hopefully they get what they're asking for in their strike. Yeah. So before we continue, we're going to break for our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, and now we're back, and we have one more piece of news for you before we actually get into our topic today. Erica, you want to take it away? Yes, the Hugo Awards and the Lodestar Award for Best Young Adult Book. The finalists have been announced. I'm just going to run through them real quick fast for those sci-fi lovers. I know you and I really like science fiction and fantasy and stuff. Mm-hmm. So... They are Akata Woman by Inedi Okorafor, Blood Marked by Tracy Dion, Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak by Charlie Jane Anders, The Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik, In the Serpent's Wake by Rachel Hartman, Osmo Unknown, and The Eight Penny Woods by Catherine M. Valente. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read two of those books. So definitely, like a lot of sequels this time around. Yes, that actually, that's a good uh, obser- observation. Yeah, there are quite a few sequels, interestingly enough. Yeah. And I, I always like, I don't want to get too off on, on this because this is quite a tangent that we could both go down. I yes. always think it's interesting when Naomi Novik's Scalamance series gets nominated for YA awards because you know, if you've hung around this episode or this podcast before, you know that like, I'm of the opinion that YA is not a genre, it is a marketing category. And it's interesting to me that Naomi Novik's very YA feeling series has been published as an adult series. And then it gets nominated for like, you know, YA awards. And so that can come sometimes people get salty about that, because they're like, why is this adult novel taking away from, Mm. you know, a a slot from a YA novel. But like I read, I read the entire Scholomance trilogy by Naomi Novik, which I adore and is fantastic, and you know, highly, highly recommend for anybody here who loves YA fantasy or just fantasy period. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it's 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 it feels so YA, like really well done, like written YA. But like they're you know they take take place in high school, right. and so it's yeah. Anyway, that's just interesting to me. But it's an odd thing, yeah. Yeah, I think it's all marketing because, you know, Naomi Novik has published a lot of adult books and is very successful in that realm. So yeah. I think it was probably an interesting marketing decision. But um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's like a really good collection, though, of books. Mm-hmm. I And the other one I read was the Rachel Hartman novel, which I loved. So awesome. Yeah. So the when whichever book wins it, I'm sure will. Well, basically, I mean, I'm adding all of these to my TBR, obviously. So yeah, it's a good obviously. mix, it seems. Yeah. So the last thing we're going to tell you is if you've ever wondered what S.A. Cosby, Haled Husseini, Sarah Bakewell, and other authors have in common, well, guess what? They've all been guests on Book Riot's newest podcast, which is called First Edition. And BookRiot.com's um, co-founder, Jeff O'Neill, is exploring the wide bookish world with this new podcast. He's bringing in a lot of interesting guests, having a lot of interesting topics. It's it's really cool. So um, if you want to subscri- subscribe to that and give it a shot, you can just search First Edition in your podcast player of choice and you can go check out what Jeff has been doing which is pretty awesome. But finally, after we've gotten through all of that, <laughs> all, of our, all of our chit-chat is out of the way. Oh, chit-chatting, yes. And announcements and whatnot. Um, I thought it would be really fun today to um, take a look back at like the debut novels of some established YA authors, who, especially those who like, you know, maybe you've read other things by them, but you've not, maybe not necessarily read their debut novel. And so we've got like an eclectic mix of Mm -hmm. debut YA novels that are like not the new things, but like in some cases, some of these are 30 years old, but most of them I think are over five years old. Yeah, I think that seems to be the case. Yeah. So um, we we are excited to do that. So I don't know. Did you did you want to kick us off? 
Sure. I have, first one I have is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. It was published in 2017. And this is a, a multi-award nominated winning book. So I'm sure you've heard of it. I'm sure you've heard of it if you've been following YA since like, you know. <laughs> if you have not been living under a rock yeah, since 2017. I feel like it. that was like the biggest book of 2017. It was. I feel like, like I wasn't, I'm more focused on YA now for obvious reasons, um, even though I read adult books as well, as I know you do too. In 2017, I wasn't as focused on YA books. Like I still would pick them up here and there. But I still, this one still, you know, like it was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And for very good reason. I also wanted to add to that Angie Thomas actually received like a grant or something to help her finish writing this book. And I just Mm -hmm. thought that was really interesting. And it's like, if you're interested in writing or anything, it's really encouraging that like that type of stuff does help. Obviously, like this is her debut novel and it, you know, got all this attention, all these awards, nominations and things like that. So this is about Star, who is a 16 year old. She is balancing... Kind of like she's in this kind of like limbo, this in-between world, because on the one hand, she lives in this poor neighborhood. On the other hand, she goes to this really like rich, fancy, hoity-toity school with these privileged kids. She has friends and stuff, but like there's that, there's a tension there. So um, naturally, she just feels at odds sometimes. And this gets worse when a kid she knows... Um, someone she's been friends with since childhood. His name is Khalil. He's killed by a police officer. And on top of everything, on top of that horrible thing that she has to deal with, she's the one who witnessed everything going down. So suddenly she sees her and her friend, I feel like, kind of lose their humanity in other people's eyes. And by that, I mean, she starts to see the true colors of people as Khalil is like painted as guilty even though he was unarmed when he was killed and so she just starts to see how people move around it and people don't like how justifiably don't like how the police are handling it there's protesting and she gets involved with stuff like that and sees how she has to fight for her own humanity and her friend Khalil's humanity and stuff like that. So this is immersive. It has characters that have like dimensions to them. They're not one-sided. It feels very true to life. And again, it's no surprise that it won all the awards. It's a very amazing debut novel. So again, that's The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Oh, also, I believe it has... I remember reading about a movie adaptation, but I don't remember where what stage that is at at the moment. Of the Hate You Give? Yeah, is that already that's already out? Yeah, it's it's been out for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, I'm confusing that with her other. Yeah, on the come up, which I think on I don't know if on the come up has come out. Although there have definitely like I think it's already filmed. I'm just not sure if it's been released yet. That's okay. Yeah. I confuse that as with the two. Yeah, that has been, I was like, wait, no, because I remember who, I remember who starred in the movie. I was confusing the two books. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, no, you're good. This you're one good. has been out for a minute. And Angie Thomas has another book that's been adapted. I think Sanaa Lathan directed it or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Ooh, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm also going to go back to 2017 with Allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson. And we talked about, was The Weight of Blood a book that we both just read? Or was that one we did for Book Club? Book Club. Book Club, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, Tiffany D. Jackson's written quite a few books by this point. And most recent was The Weight of Blood, um, which we read and loved. And you can go back and listen to our episode about how we raved about that one. Mm-hmm. I also really liked her White Smoke. That was excellent. So I have actually been reading a lot of Tif- Tiffany Jackson's books since her first book came out. And I actually read this the year it came out. So it is about Mary. And she is been living in a group home for 
girls who have broken the law and have behavioral issues and all this, you know, stuff that um, basically girls that are kind of on like the fringes of society and that people don't necessarily want to deal with directly. Mm. And so the reason that our protagonist is in this home is because when she was like, I think she was like eight or nine, she and her mom, uh, her mom was babysitting a baby and the baby died while her mom was babysitting and it was just mom mom and her at home and basically it was a white baby too and of course her protagonist is black as well as her mom so imagine the tensions that would arise from that like there was a lot of you know racist accusations and things got really intense and basically they concluded that like you know, she killed the baby, not her mom, like the kid did as a kid. So now she's grown up in this home um, because she's accused of killing this baby. And she's always, you know, maintained her innocence and said like, hey, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But now at the start of the book, she finds out that she is pregnant herself and that um, if she wants to have a better life for her own baby, she's going to have to like face what really happened to the kid that died the little girl that died and so like it's obviously like a very tough and upsetting premise Mm. but also this is an unreliable narrator and that makes this whole story just kind of like like it really messes with your mind but like in a fascinating way and i mean you know obviously these are really like difficult it's a difficult circumstance so i don't want to be like oh it's so entertaining but like it it really grabs you and it doesn't let you go and i think you know when i heard that tiffany jackson was starting to write horror i was like that seems like a natural progression considering Mm. like what her first book was like which is like this very intense not necessarily horror but this really intense situation with a lot of tension and and at the whole this whole time you're like wondering like what really happened and you don't really find out until the very end. And I, I remember when this book came out, part of the reason why it was so popular at first was because everybody was like, oh, my God, you have to read this book. You will not believe the ending. Mm. And it takes you on a journey for sure. So, like, this is one book that I have not read since 2017, but, like, it just, like, lives in my brain because <laughs> I it, it's haunting in that way. And I think, yeah, I, I've always thought, like, if you want to, like, start with Tiffany D. Jackson or read her books, like, that is a great one to start with because it's pretty indicative of, like, her style, but, like, also her writing chops, like, just amazing. So that is Allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson. Well, gosh darn it, I'm sold. (laughs) Yes. That is going to the top priority of my TBR. It's interesting to see, uh, like, when you're used to an author doing one thing and then you have... You hear the announcement that they're going to go in a kind of different direction. It's like, huh, okay, I can kind of see it. So that's cool. So the next one I have is the Blood of Stars duology by Elizabeth Lim. Uh, We have shouted the praises of Elizabeth Lim on here before. I don't remember the last time I spoke of this duology. The first of it, which is the debut novel, is titled Spin the Dawn. I know I've mentioned it before, but I don't remember the last time we spoke about it. I think we were speaking about the later Herb. I feel like it's been at least a couple of months since we fangirled about Elizabeth Lim, but go ahead. I appreciate the space to fangirl about Elizabeth Lim. So technically, she actually wrote for... Disney's Twisted Tales before this, before Spin the Dawn came out in 2019 as her debut. But I'm not really counting that as her debut because that was like under Disney, even though she wrote that. But if you're curious, you can check that out. So Spin the Dawn is part one of a fantasy duology that Lim wrote. It's based in Asian mythology. It's really fun. And I really, really liked it. It's like... It's like kind of cut into two parts in a way. I feel like part one is like magical, like historical project runway. And it's like you have this girl, Maya Tamarin, who um, is trying to help take care of her family. Like her dad is this great tailor in this smaller, I believe, coastal town. It's been a minute since I read it, but in a smaller coastal town and... There's a royal messenger one day who summons her father 
to the court in the capital and he can't go because he is just getting older and a little sicker and not up to the traveling. But they have to go because, you know, monarchy, emperor rule, you know, this is like they, they, they have to go. So she actually pretends to be one of her brothers, one that had fought in a war. So she puts this like little pebble in her sh- shoe. So she limps or whatever. And she goes in his stead and she tries to dress as a boy, you know, when she's out in public. And um, because she's really gifted as a seamstress, actually. And that's how they make their money. But there is a, um, I forgot the exact word, but like a magician, basically. Enchanter, excuse me. He works for the court. And he's like kind of annoying at first. Because it's like, he's kind of like teasing her and stuff like that and then it's like does he know her secret does he not is he like is he friend or foe seeing how that dynamic develops is very interesting um so basically she is summoned or rather her father was summoned along with other tailors to compete in this competition to become the court court tailor basically and Whoever wins gets money. She needs the money for her, you know, ailing father and her brothers who are, you know, some who didn't come back from the war and stuff like that. So she competes with these other like very well experienced tailors. There's magic. Then there is this quest she goes on later, which is like really fun. But there's also some some heartbreak and stuff like that. It's it had everything for me. It gave it gave what I needed it to give. It was very entertaining. I reread it at one point. The second book is good too, but it's very it has a very different feel. But it's also pretty good. So I like how Elizabeth Lim, like, I don't know, maybe kind of like Tiffany Jackson in a way, can write in these very different modes. And it's like you're getting different kinds of stories and there's variety and stuff like that. So I really appreciate that. So again, this is um, Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim. Awesome. That's yeah. I love Elizabeth Lim. So good. Mm -hmm. So good. All right. I'm going to tell you about my next pick. But first, here is our next sponsor. Okay, I'm throwing it like way, way, way back here with the debut novel by one of my favorite YA authors, Melina Marchetta, um, Looking for Alibrandi. This book came out originally in 1992 in Australia. It did not come out in the US, I believe, until like the early 2000s, like maybe 2004 or 2006. And I was just sad, but like, it was a huge, spectacular hit in Australia when it first came out in 92. And it was made into a movie, which is tragically not really um, available on streaming in the U.S. Um, I actually one time ordered a DVD from Australia and I had to like buy an all regions DVD player to watch it. Um, and it was fantastic. So this that is, is dedication. <laughs> yes. I, I am very dedicated when yes. it comes to all things Melina Marquetta. I just need you to know. Yes. Yes. So, oh my gosh, I love, so I love everything that she's written. She's written, um, the Prince Award winning Jellicoe Road. Um, she's written the Finnegan of the Rock fantasy series, which, oh, so good. Um, she has written some adult books. Um, she wrote Saving Francesca. So she's, what I'm, what impresses me about her is she's written, you know, widely across genres. And so this was her first book. And she was really young when it came out. Like, I think she was in her early 20s. And it launched her career in a real spectacular way. So Looking for Alibrandi is about Josephine Alibrandi. And she is an Australian-Italian um, teenager um, living um, in a suburb, or not suburb, but like in a neighborhood in Sydney. And so she, you know, comes from this like very proud Italian family. Um, Her grandparents um, immigrated to Australia um, in the 1940s. And, uh, and this book takes place, it's like, you know, late 80s, early 90s. 
but her mom did not marry her dad. And in fact, she doesn't really, she sort of knows who her dad is, but he's like never been in her life. Her mom never married him. Um, her mom, in fact, never even revealed to her family and to her community who Josephine's father was. So it's kind of been like this mystery. But at this point in time, Josephine's 16. She's over it. She's kind of, you know, annoyed when people treat her mom, you know, poorly because she is unmarried. But, um, you know, she loves her mom a lot lot, even if they fight all the time. So her life gets upended um, when one day she's like at her grandmother's house and her grandmother's super overbearing and is always trying to like, you know, get Josie to conform to her traditional standards. And this like family friend like another Italian walks into the room and her mom is like really, really weird about it. And she realizes like, oh, this is my dad. And but nobody in the room knows except for Josie and her mom. And her grandmother just thinks like, oh, he's an old family friend. We haven't seen him in 18 years. And it like seriously puts Josie's life in like this this upheaval because like all of a sudden, like her dad is in the picture and she's not sure how she feels about it. And also this entire time, her dad didn't even know that she existed. So he's just as shocked as she is because he didn't know that he had a teenage daughter. And um, it, it creates some drama. But that's like not the only thing that's going on in her life. Like it's her final year of high school. She's trying to figure out what she wants out of life. Um, she's navigating friendships and relationships at school and her first boyfriend. There's just a lot, a lot going on in her life. But it's this really beautiful coming of age story. And I, I just really love it. And recently, the 30th anniversary edition came out and it was only released in Australia, sadly, but I was able to get a copy of it from Book Depository before Book Depository shut down. And it's a really beautiful edition. And so I reread it this year and it's just so great. So if you have read Melina Marchetta, if you've not read Looking for Alibrandi, I highly recommend it. Ooh, you've been fighting, fighting for that, fighting for Mark Marchetta. You're like, I got uh, the yeah. DVD, the all rights. I forgot how you said it, but like the regional. The universal. all region DVD player. Yes, thank you. Yes. You got the oh book depository. They shut down. You're like, by the skin of your teeth, I'm- you are fighting for your life for this for this her, her last well and her last couple of book releases have not come out in the US oh wow and so I've had to like rely on book depository or other you know international shippers to like send me her newest book and I'm like I'm not sure what I'm gonna do if her next book doesn't have a release in the US like you know oh yeah her YA and Evangelical Road won our highest honor for young adult books in 2008. And it's just wild to me that her books aren't more popular because they're just so good. That is weird. Yeah. She says she's in Australia, right? Yeah, she's Australian. Okay. Yeah, I buy, there's, I buy, um, well, you probably know, there are like a couple UK bookstores that will ship to us, no problem. I'm blanking on the name right now. I just bought a book from there. I'm like, the shipping was free. Blackstones or something like Waterstones. that. Waterstones. Water. There we go. Thank you. But I don't know if they're going to sell her stuff since she's Australian. Yeah. Well, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes she'll get like, you know, it'll come out in Australia, but it'll also come out in the UK, but maybe not the US. So if, it, yeah. if I could get a UK edition, that'd be cool. But yeah. I think I could also probably, so there are some places where I can, I'm sure I can buy from Australia and they'd ship. I mean, it would just cost as much as the book itself, but I wouldn't care. I'd yeah. still buy it. <laughs> they should just send you one. You're like seeing her praises, letting people know. Well, I mean, like, I know authors got to eat too, but I'm just like, it's weird that they're not publishing them in the US. <sighs> who can sigh so anyhow odd anyway it sounds really good very interesting yes 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 so the next one i have is when i was the greatest by jason reynolds jason reynolds is like releases book after book he does so much yeah jason reynolds does a lot and i have to say that i met him briefly and he was very chill and nice and also very tall Aww. so i just want to say that <laughs> but yes <laughs> I don't know if you saw the latest Into the Spider-Verse movie, Miles Morales. uh, Jason Reynolds has written at least one of the books for Miles Morales. Yeah. So that's just a little tidbit. Um, Those movies are really awesome. I love them. Very creative. Lots of art. But yeah. So if you haven't seen that, definitely go see it. 
And uh, When I Was the Greatest is about growing up in Brooklyn. So it follows Ali, who is about 16 or so. He lives in Bed-Stuy. That's Brooklyn neighborhood. And um, he lives with his mom and his sister, his like little sassy, little clever little sister. And he kind of just like hangs out with his with his friends, a couple of his friends. There's this one guy, Noodles, and <laughs> Noodles has a brother named Needles. Those aren't their real names. Those are nicknames. I believe his sister gave them. So they grow up in this neighborhood that I think to outsiders, it's like, well, not just to outsiders. There's a lot going on in the neighborhood, a lot of like bad things going on. Like there are drugs, there's violence and stuff like that. But they kind of know how to like navigate it for the most part. And they keep to themselves and they just hang out and stuff like that. So Needles, Noodles brother again, Needles has, has a disability. It is Tourette's. So he, you know, but people kind of know like, oh, you know, that's just Needles. That's, you know, they kind of have a protective layer around him, the people who know him. So one day... They are at a party where they shouldn't be. See, they're in a place where they shouldn't be. It's like a basement party or something like that. And there's this misunderstanding and someone has this issue with needles and Ali ends up defending him and there and a punch is thrown. So now this sets them on a path of like, well, let's just say it's not it's not good. So now they've got to contend with like the fallout of that and um, getting sucked into the violence of their area and stuff, even though Ali was trying to just defend Needles, who needs a little, you know, a little support and little defense here and there just because of his Tourette syndrome and people misunderstanding him and stuff like that. It's interesting because if you have not grown up in a neighborhood like this, which I have not. It gives you insight into that kind of neighborhood. The book has really well drawn out characters and there's danger and stuff like that. And these kids, because they are kids, they are trying to contend with growing up into who they want to be while also resisting. Well, I should say Noodles maybe doesn't always resist the greatest, but it's also kind of like, and this is not to... Uh, take away accountability for anyone. But it's also like, sometimes you think, and books like this are a good way to make you think of like, how much choice does some people have, especially when they're teenagers, when they grow up in certain environments. But yes, it shows how living in these types of neighborhoods is or can be. Um, it also dispels some myths. Like I said, the characters are really interesting. And the characters are what will be the most interesting part of the book, I think. So yeah, that is When I Was the Greatest by Jason Reynolds. Awesome. Yes. I remember when that book came out too. It's been, um, it's hard to believe it's been almost 10 years, but. Yeah, 2014. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. All right. So instead of 2014, let's go back to 2004 mm. with. Maureen Johnson's debut novel, which I don't know if much many people have, have read it these days. It's the key to the golden firebird. And I, oh my gosh, this book, like, okay, this book came out in 2004. I was like just discovering YA when it came out. And so um, I remember reading this book and I remember actually owned a copy of it. And I read it so many times because, you know, when you're like 12, and you have, you know, books that you love, you just reread them and you have all the time to do that. And I miss when my life was like that. Oh, my God. Um, seriously. Right? <laughs> I was just thinking oh, of that randomly. Absolutely. Yes. So the key to the golden firebird is about three sisters. And it's mostly about the middle sister. Her name is May. And she has an older sister named Brooks and a younger sister named Palmer. 
and um, they have always been pretty close, even though they're kind of different. But then their dad dies, and that's really hard for them. And it's hard for their mom, too, of course, who has to now support them on her own. And it's especially hard for May because she feels like she doesn't really have anybody. Her sisters are kind of being pulled in different directions. Her mom works as a nurse, so she works all these hours to support them. But one thing that she's really frustrated about is that, like, you know, her dad was going to teach her how to drive. And now she doesn't know how to drive. And um, she doesn't have anybody who will teach her except for maybe this boy who offers to teach her. And um, they're using their dad's old Pontiac Firebird, which is like a, a car that he adored. And so she is learning how to drive in this vehicle. She's kind of falling for for him. She's also dealing with her sisters and feeling like she's kind of become adrift apart from her sisters and how to get back to, you know, feeling like they can they can be close again, but also um, how did they come together to really grieve their dad? Um, so I know it's kind of like a vague description. I mean, th- there's so many scenes in this book that like stand out in my memory, even though it's been literal years since I read it. I was just looking on Amazon and it's definitely available as a Kindle book, which is awesome. And it looks like, oh yeah, it looks like the paperback. It's out of print. That's really sad. So you might still be able to find it in libraries. You can definitely find inexpensive used copies if you wanted to pick up an inexpensive used copy. But your best bet if you wanted to like, you know, read it right now would probably be to do an ebook. So I just wanted to shout this one out too, because I know like Maureen Johnson's really popular, you know, right now her Truly Devious series is you know, probably her most popular thing to date, um, as well as her Shadow of the Jack Ripper, Jack the Ripper series Mm. that came out um, a few years ago. And um, she writes really great stuff. But I was like doing this deep dive into her like early 2000s work. And I was like, oh, my gosh, so many great books um, that I had almost forgotten about. So Mm -hmm. um, but the key to the Golden Firebird, if you, you know, want some vintage Maureen Johnson and some like, you know, some YA to take you back to the early aughts. This will do it. Nice. Nice. Um, Yeah. So the last one I have for today is An Imper in the Ashes by Sabata here. I think it was you who chose All My Rage by Sabata here for our last book club book, which was such a great choice. Um, so this one, An Ember in the Ashes, was released in 2015, and it is like this fantasy inspired by Arabic myth. It's like brutal. It's heart pounding. It follows Leia, who is part of this group of people called the Scholars, and they have been oppressed by the Martial Empire's laws for a while now. And I guess it's like, you know, how maybe some people can become complacent in these type of situations. Well, Leia gets woken up one day, woken up to the reality of things because her brother is kidnapped and taken prisoner by these masked soldiers. And they believe he helped the resistance, the scholar resistance, right? So now she goes to the resistance and she's like, hey, you help get my brother back. And they're like, "Mm, we will, but only if you do something for us, Uh, which is not the best, which is, you know, again, brutal world. So they want her to go undercover to spy on their ops, basically, which is, you know, the people oppressing them. So... She goes to this school where these masked soldiers get trained. And this is a very dangerous mission, obviously, because there are, there's like this constant threat of violence, even sexual violence at times. Um, and so what I like too about Leia is that she is actually like scared of stuff. Like she's like, Oh my God, like, you know, what's going to happen? And that leads that aids in the thriller and heart pounding aspect of the book. But sometimes I feel like protagonists are not, it sometimes it doesn't make sense that they're not scared. Like some of them should, you would think that more of them would be kind of scared, but she is scared. And I feel like that's a realistic aspect. Well, on the other side, you have Elias, who was born into this like privileged 
world technically but he doesn't want it but he's still being groomed for the throne and stuff like that by this like mysterious group of um, hooded figures they're called augurs i think is how you say it so you have the two of them and no one wants to be in this awful place this awful school but they are She's trying to gather intel for the scholar resistance, the rebels, and uh, get her brother back. He's just trying to make it. He um, wanted to leave. He was going to desert, actually. But there was like this prophecy or whatever that said that if he didn't go through the trials of trying to be an aspirant, which is like an aspirant for the throne, um, something bad would happen. So... There's a lot of, there's a lot of action. There is like political, you know, political things going on. It can be very heart racing because there are big stakes, big things at stake. There's violence, constant threat of violence. I didn't mean to laugh at that. I'm just saying like, that's a, just thinking of living in that situation is stressful. So I think it's worth picking up for sure. It has a lot of reviews on Goodreads. And I think it's just really interesting fantasy, like political fantasy, dystopian action going on. So, yes, again, that is An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir. Yeah, it's excellent. And I I think that the sequels are just as good. So definitely worth picking up, especially if you want a good fantasy series. Mm-hmm. All right. My final pick, um, taking it back to 2009 with Ash by Melinda Lowe. So Melinda Lowe, of course, has been getting tons and tons of attention for Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which came out a couple of years ago. And, you know, she won the National Book Award. She won a ton of awards for it. And then she followed up with A Companion, A Scatter of Light that came out last fall, which I adored so much. She's I mean, she's an autobi author for me. So nice. But Ash came out in 2009. It was her debut. And I think it's really hard to overstate like how influential this book has been on YA because it was a lesbian retelling of Cinderella. And mm. it was, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I could be wrong, but I think it might have been the first queer fantasy YA novel that I can think of. Mm. Um, I'm really struggling to, I mean, obviously it wasn't the first queer YA book, but maybe first queer fantasy YA book. Do you think it started the trend of like queer YA retellings? I don't know if it inspired the trend, but this book really opened up doors for other queer YA books, mm-hmm. uh, especially, I think, in genre fiction, for sure. Because, yeah, like, there just wasn't, you know, you have to think about, like, their early 2000s. Like, yes, we were starting to see more queer YA. It was still really on the margins. Sometimes, you know, they would try to obscure that the book was queer and they wouldn't put it in the copy or they wouldn't include it in the marketing. So you just kind of had to read it and discover it for yourself. Mm. Um, and this book, like, you know, didn't hide the fact that, like, this was a queer, they wouldn't even, they didn't even say it was a queer retelling. They just said it was a lesbian retelling of Cinderella. And it is beautifully written. You know, it's about Ash. She is very grief stricken after the death of her mother and her father. And she becomes obsessed with these fairy tales, this book of fairy tales that her mom left her. And so when one day the fairies steal her away, she kind of becomes enamored with them because she's like, you know, this is escape from real life. And so it's really, you know, it's a retelling of Cinderella, but it really is this beautiful book about grief and about working your way through grief and then like also you know finding your will to live and so she um, is going through all of this when she meets Kaisa who's the king's huntress and she falls for her so rather than a prince it's the king's huntress and she learns that you know she has to make a choice like is she going to let herself be stolen away by the fairies and live in the past or is she going to you know, make a new path for herself and and re-enter the world of the living and love again. It's so gorgeously written mm. and just, yeah, I mean, again, cannot overstate how influential this book has been on YA. Um, it's highly important. And then Melinda Lowe has since, so she wrote a companion called Huntress, um, which is set in the same world, but a different time period than this one. And then she wrote some sci-fi, and then she wrote a mystery, and then she wrote, you know, Last Night at the Telegraph Club. So I, I'm impressed by Melinda Lowe because she writes in a lot of different genres. Yeah. But if you're new to her, you might not realize that she has like two really great 
fantasy books that you should definitely go back and read. So that, yeah, that's Ash by Melinda Lowe, first published in 2009. Um, so excellent. That sounds really excellent, honestly. Even just like, just the description is like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's and it's a quick read because it's, you know, it's not super thick. And I mean, especially if you love fantasy, but you don't necessarily like want to commit to like a big series, because like, I love, yeah. I love Ember and in Ash in the Ashes, but those are like four very thick books in that series. So yeah, they're like five, 450 pages. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Ash is like a good standalone YA fantasy. And it's queer. So all good stuff. Nice. Nice. But yeah, so that, that's everything that we have for you today because, you know, we could keep talking, but um, mm-hmm. we should wrap it up. But, you know, you never forget certain authors' first books. So yes. we wanted to be able to shout about those in case you need a little reminder and or encouragement to go back and pick up some of these fantastic debuts from previous years. We also wanted to let you know that we will be doing another um, book club episode wherein we both read the same book and just, you know, fangirl about it for an hour. Um, (laughs) So you're more than welcome to join us. That will be for our August 16th episode. And the book we've picked is A Song of Salvation by Alicia Dow. I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm glad you suggested it. Yes. I'm glad you're open to it. It's like a space opera, but with a reincarnated god and a grumpy pilot. Give it to me. Yeah, uh, give it to me now. The cover's beautiful. Gorgeous. I mean, yeah, so pretty. I'm just so ready for this. I, it's going to be so much fun discussing it with you. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, that will be um, in about a month from now. So in the meantime, thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel free to leave us feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let us know how we're doing. It helps others to find us as well. So we always appreciate it. Of course, you can always drop us a line directly at heyya at bookriot.com and visit bookriot.com for more newsletters, more podcasts, all things bookish. And don't forget to check out First Edition, our newest podcast. Thank you again to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And thanks so much to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. Um, You can follow me on Instagram. And yes, I am still on Twitter. And yes, now I am on threads (laughs) as well. I'm at Tears of Price. So Erica, how about you? I guess I need to get on threads. And yes, I am still on Twitter at Erica underscore easy E underscore. Awesome. Well, we will be back in two more weeks and we'll talk to you then. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>